In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus. Amen. When man and Joseph couldn't Jesus, they sought him first among the red voices. They sought him according to the flesh. They should have sought him according to the Spirit. Joseph knew that this child was not his own. Mary knew that this was the Son of the Most High. They knew that his beginning was not from them, but from eternity in God their Father. They knew under what conditions and circumstances and by what pure grace and miraculous power this child had been brought into their lives. Mary and Joseph believed the word of the Lord. They knew that Anna was right to rejoice at his first appearance in the temple and to speak of him to everyone who looked for redemption in Israel. They knew that Simeon was right to call him a light to lighten Gentiles and that the Gentile Magi were right to worship this light as their savior God. They knew perfectly well, in a manner of speaking, who Jesus was. And Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Jesus was in their lives, and they loved him. But as time went by, there was less and less to ponder, and more and more simply to experience as a given. It became more and more reasonable just to expect what they had grown accustomed to have. Jesus had been with them for over 12 years. He never left. He was the perfect baby, the perfect toddler, the perfect big boy, and now the perfect young man on the cusp of adolescence. He never left. He was helpful. He was polite. He was obedient. He was pleasant to be around and trustworthy when left unsupervised. They could count on him. He was a pure joy. He was always there. He was a part of their life. He is a part of your life too. He has been there for you. Whenever you have sinned, he has never been far away to correct you and to forgive you and give you peace. He didn't break the bruised reed or snuff out the smoking wick. You love him for that. He has always been gentle and dependable and kind. When you have been downhearted and depressed, when you have been in danger and afraid, when your children were far away or traveling and you were worried for them, when a wife or daughter was in labor and you yourself couldn't do anything, when your prospects for employment or success were uncertain, in all your life, the mercy and grace of God, which you have dependably found in Christ his Son, to give you peace, to calm you, has been there for you. You know who he is. He is not a mere charm in your pocket. His beginning is not from you or your imagination or your work or will. You know this. His beginning is from eternity. And according to his will and his work, your beginning is in him. For through him, God brought you forth. 
when you were called out from the sinful and dying life you were born into, according to the flesh, and when through the sacrament of holy baptism he covered you in his own lifelong obedience to God, when he rendered in your place as your willing substitute under the law and all God's wrath against you, and by which gracious washing he also has given you new birth by the same Holy Spirit who once conceived him in the womb of his mother. Your beginning is in him. The forgiveness of sins comes from him. All you need comes from him. From him, you depend on him. That he is always there. You can expect him to be there. It is a reasonable expectation. He's around when you need him. If you need him, he's there. Mary and Joseph were almost home, but now for the first time, Jesus wasn't there. They looked for him in the most reasonable places, but they couldn't find him. He was gone. They looked into all the places where they could have expected him to be. They considered all situations where he would have been. He was not to be found. It may happen that you will be almost home and he will not be there. God forbid it. But it may happen that you will be almost done doing what you have been doing, almost done earning what you have been working for, almost done enjoying what you have been living for. And when you gather your senses and begin again to ponder what was once kept in your heart for joy of your salvation, it may be that you will not find him there. What a terribly dreadful prospect. It is more dreadful than the frantic fear of a mother whose boy is missing. It is even worse than that, which among earthly sorrows is the worst I can possibly imagine. But to lose Christ is worse. For Christ is no mere light of your life as a mother might describe her only child in a metaphorical sense. No, Jesus is life itself the soul begotten of the Father. He is salvation. Life does not go on and the sun does not keep shining without him. No, it is snuffed out and all hope is broken without him. His presence is more precious than the casual comfort of knowing he is near if needed. He is himself peace with God and wisdom from God. To have him near is life. To lack him for even a moment is death. If you have ever known the terror of not knowing where Jesus, whether Jesus is near, of, of feeling his absence and sensing his departure, if you have known the dread of suspecting that he has finally met the end of his patience toward you, then you have known what Mary and Joseph felt and how little they slept these three days and nights. If you have known the regret of being defiled by your sin that you have re returned to so ungratefully like a dog to his vomit. If you have ever become, been overcome with guilt and have seen and recognized that all the problems of your life that you can't solve are of your own wretched making and it's your fault and you're to blame and you don't deserve God to have pity on you anymore because you never did deserve his mercy and now you're afraid that you've driven him away forever. If you have known this sorrow or tasted the smallest portion of it, 
when Jesus is nowhere to be found, and all grace and compassion and forgiveness sounds like a distant and quaint idea that Mom used to talk about. They can't possibly be for you because of how you have refused too often to turn from your sin and flee to Christ. But you have instead treated Christ as something that will just be there when you're ready to enjoy his peace. While in the meantime your mind is conformed to this world and you chase after the pleasures the devil promises. But it is peace that you need more than anything now because the vain pleasures of life never lived up to their false promises to satisfy even though you knew they wouldn't because you were warned they wouldn't but you didn't listen. And you are empty and scared and helpless. And in the midst of this, you cannot find Jesus. And you don't know where to look because you don't feel or find him in your heart anymore where he used to be. If any of this has ever been familiar to you, even for a moment or for a night, then you know what filled Mary and Joseph's heart these days of fruitless searching in Jerusalem for the Son of God whom they had lost. They had lost their Savior. They had lost everyone's Savior. It was all so understandable. Who could blame them? But they surely blamed themselves. Like the foolish Christian who seems to have lost hold of what his heart once believed, but from whose wick there is still a spark and smoke ascending ever so weakly. Oh, they knew that God would blame them too. And so began the beginning of wisdom. So began the beginning of their search in earnest to find Jesus where he must always be. The more accustomed Mary and Joseph became to having Jesus around, the more they took his abiding presence for granted. The less they saw him as the savior they needed and the more they saw him as that part of earthly life that they loved. It was as though the purpose of his coming was to fulfill the day-to-day -day pleasantness that had so far grown, they had so far grown to appreciate most about him. But they grew weak in their appreciation of what the Son of God had truly come to do. The more accustomed we are to having Jesus around, the same thing will happen. The more we take his abiding presence for granted, the less we will see him as the Savior we need. And the more we will see him as some perhaps precious and even important part of our lives that we admittedly love. But the devil whose poisonous lie not only produces hatred for God, which you do not have, but also apathy toward his word, which you stand always in danger of succumbing to. This enemy of our salvation wants nothing more if he cannot persuade you to outright abandon Christ, which you, your presence here shows that you have not done, yet he wants nothing more than to get you thinking that the purpose of his coming and of your faith is to provide you the mere day-to-day -day or bi-weekly or monthly pleasantness of life as a Christian, if you ever need him. 
And we, like Mary and Joseph, grow weak in our appreciation of what the Son of God has truly come to do. We must learn, as Mary and Joseph learned, to seek Christ according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. That is, to seek Him as He tells us to find Him in His Word, and not according to our own familiar expectations. We think it's reasonable to seek Him according to the flesh. Because we seek everything according to the flesh, and find it as we generally expect. Food, drink, clothing, shelter, and whatever else the Gentiles seek and find. And as true as it is that God's judgment are unsearchable and His ways past finding out, yet in our daily and weekly and yearly experience, He isn't all that unpredictable, is He? We generally find Him where and when we need to, and we take it for granted. Until He hides Himself. He hides Himself from those who seek Him where they think He owes it to them to be. If they need Him. But he owes us nothing. He won't be found there anymore. As Hosea the prophet says, they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. And as the prophet Amos writes, they shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. Is there a worse judgment than this? No, there is not. And just such judgment comes upon those in every generation who treat the word of God as a given thing, as something to read or listen to when they have time, when they're not too busy with things that really matter. The preaching of the gospel is treated like a saw when what you need is a hammer, or meat when really you're just thirsty. The saw will still be there when you need to cut, and there's plenty to eat later after we drink our fill. You know where to find what you need when the need arises, until it's not there anymore. Such judgment has been poured out upon this generation most dreadfully. We see it. We don't talk about it because we're polite, but we see it. This generation that acts like it's doing God a favor by treating his word as a, a quaint and, and touching thing when the, when the family can get together for a holiday or a funeral, but then despises it as a time-consuming imposition and out of touch with the times we're living in when the word is preached in any other season. But no, the word of God is not just some tool or tackle or souvenir that you seek out when you determine you need it for this or that. The Word of God is not something that we use at all. It is something that God uses on us. He speaks His Word to us, and we listen. He tells us not to be conformed to this world. He tells us not to seek our life where the heathen seek theirs. That life ends in misery and death. He tells us not to fornicate. Those who do go to hell. He tells us not to cheat. Those who do will repay. He tells us not to lie or listen to slander, but to defend the reputation of others. And those who defy this command will have no advocate on the day of judgment when all hearts are known. He tells us not to hold grudges or hate, but to forgive. And those who refuse will not be forgiven. 
He tells us to come and eat without cost and drink from the most purest pleasures of his word and drink ourselves in abundance and eat the best possible enjoyment of eternal life. More than any of the world's passing pleasures can give you and to do so by remaining a student of his word, by pondering it. Those who don't will hear those awful words from Jesus. I do not know you. He tells you all this because he is abounding in mercy and love and wants to save you. He tells us to ponder these things and not to look at attending church or praying for somebody or doing a devotion as some obligatory service that you owe him and that once you've offered it, you can return to real life with a conscience or a wife or a mother, as the case may be, that might stop nagging you for a few weeks. God help us. No, he tells us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. This is our reasonable service. This is the reasonable service that the Apostle urges us to offer. He calls us brothers. By calling us brothers, he says that we are reconciled to God by the blood of our brother Jesus Christ. He appeals to the mercies of God. As we just sang in our hymns, subdue us by thy kindness, sustain us by thy grace. Only his mercy can teach us not to be conformed to this world. And it is reasonable. Paul calls it our logical worship. It is reasonable what we ought to render because what we owe God who has become flesh and blood to redeem us from hell is logical is logically our very bodies which he has redeemed and sanctified and claimed as his already. We offer what is living. Our life is in Christ. We offer what is living by confessing that our life is in Christ, by finding Jesus in his holy word and blessed sacraments where he promised always to be found because we know why he came. We know to what end the Spirit anointed him to preach the gospel to the poor, to free you, to open your ears and eyes, and to give you not just life, but animation and movement and joy and confidence. What's so scary about the judgment spoken by Hosea and Amos is not that God would hide himself or take his word away in general. It is frightful enough that God would persist in his judgment to hide from those who have never sought his light. No, but what is so scary about this judgment, which we consider now, is, as our gospel lesson warns us by the example of Mary and Joseph, that God would take his word away from those who are looking for it. And that Christ would hide himself from those who are looking for him. Even his own dear parents. Oh, good Lord, forbid it. But this occurred for our example. That we might know what to do when it seems that God will not shine his light into our soul that is overcome by grief and guilt and regret. To teach us not to seek him according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What natural relationship do you have with Jesus? Is it closer than Joseph and Mary's? Is it closer than flesh and blood? Has he lived in your house? 
Have you known him? Have you grown accustomed to his face? Where will you seek his face when you cannot find him? We do not seek him in our human relationships or by trying to return to the conditions and times that seemed more blessed, like perhaps when our children were still young and hadn't run away yet, or when we had not yet fallen into some addiction or other. No, we find him where he is about his father's business, not only as a child, not only on the cross, but every day of our lives to fulfill God's word for you. There you find blessings, familiar, yes, but they are always new. It was Passover. His earthly parents went every year. They were pious. They had good habits and godly customs. So do we. It was good that they went to Jerusalem for the Passover. But they should have considered what the Passover taught them so that they would have known where immediately to look when tragedy struck. The son whom God had put into their care was the very fulfillment of what they celebrated. He had joined their family in order to fulfill his father's word which was promised of old to give his own spotless life as a lamb without blemish to bear the sins of the whole world, to shed his blood to make atonement for all sins and to mark the doors of his people so that the angel of death would pass over and we would be saved from certain death. It was concerning these things that Jesus would have been discussing and asking about and teaching his elders in the temple. Where Jesus attends to these things, is where you will always find him. Where his word is preached and where his mercy is shown to you. The word of God defines you and diagnoses you and prescribes for you what you need always and every day of our life. And he tells you to seek it first. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You do this by regarding God's word as a rare and precious gift. You do this by considering not where you should expect God to be, where you suppose he ought to be, for then you seek merely your own righteousness. No, but where he comes to you and to all those who need mercy. And there you find his righteousness. You find his kingdom. You find him ruling over your conscience and ruling over your life and your mind. He reveals himself to those who look for him where he is about his father's business. But the word of God does more than tell you what to do and where to look. The word of God gives and enables your heart to receive and to become the very temple where Jesus is always attending to the things that belong to his Father and ours. To where he marks the door of our own hearts with the blood that was accepted by his God and our God, so that we might know that he is always near and that he is always accessible to those who need a Savior. We do not seek him according to the flesh. We seek him according to the Spirit. We find him in those things that belong to the Father as the Father opens up his heart and shows you his love for you from eternity. 
You find him in depths of woe. You find him in fear and dread. You find him at the bed of a loved one who is dying. You find him in your own death too. He who is your beginning is faithful. And he who has begun a good thing in you will bring it to completion at the day of his coming. We begin not by the flesh, and so let us not end by the flesh. We begin in the spirit. And we continue and finish by receiving endlessly what the spirit continues to pour into our hearts through the mercy revealed to all of us in Christ Jesus our Savior. He never leaves us. Amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ unto eternal life. Amen.